With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and I'm excited for a great Big Ten preview here today because we're going to talk about some of the top players in the country, certainly from the Big Ten Conference. And joining me this week on the show, we're going to have Tony Pauline, Draft Buzz. We're going to go through all the big players. But the man seated to my left, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, Ben Fennel, uh, who is back here on the podcast every single week. Ben, welcome back to the show. It's Good been a be few back. weeks because yeah. we had you on in the, during the summer. We looked back at the 2019 draft. But... We're going to talk all about the top players in college football. Now, you were uh, you were in Ireland last week for, was, uh, for, yeah. the, for the Open. Yep. So, you know, the big timer there. But it's good to be back to football, though. Sure, no yeah. question. But uh, so you missed our, our talk about the, the top players outside of the Power Five. So it would be remiss. Before we get to Tony, I want to ask you about a guy that you and I think is probably the top player outside the Power Five this year and a guy that uh, could be a very, very high pick, and that's Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State. You know, I think when it's all said and done, he's really going to push his name into the conversation with Tua and some of these other top quarterbacks and maybe being one of the top three or five quarterbacks in the country, maybe being a first-round pick. And, you know, I don't want to ever put too much emphasis on one game. Yep. But throw on the Michigan State game last year, which is a Big Ten defense, one of the better defenses collectively over the last five years in college football, very strong unit, very well coached. And, man, this kid showed all the tools and the parts to be an NFL quarterback, made the tight window throws, made a lot of those throws in that intermediate passing window that you just don't see across college football in some pro-style schemes. They hit a dig against high-low coverage to anticipate windows on the second level and crossing routes. He's about 6'3", but plays up on his toes in the pocket. So he sees very well. He's broad. He's tall. He's got a strong arm that throws over the top, and he's got the athleticism to move in the pocket, keep his his eyes up and you know to elude defenders when he needs to he plays from the pocket first and foremost and has all the tools as a passer with the athleticism when he needs it to maneuver in the pocket and maybe break outside I think you could argue too that he might be more accurate than Tua and Herbert it's going to be a conversation, like, I think, you know, once scouts start to get really deep into his film and to start to see the placement and the yeah. anticipation. The anticipation really jumped out really on impressive. the tape with me because you don't see that in college football, especially with a lot of point-and-shoot and kind of predetermined reads. Yep. For him to kind of assess zone coverages and to pick windows on those second-level crossing routes and anticipate the windows, you really don't see that on Saturdays in college football very often. Yeah, he's uh, – look, we don't know anything about the off-field with him. You know, where is he from? A, a leadership standpoint and face of the franchise. Can he be that guy that, that is so important for the quarterback position? So we don't know where he rests there. He's going to be uh, trying to work into a new offense this year, trying to turn over from a personnel standpoint. So long, long way to go. But Not really sure what he's working with on the outside yeah. either. I know he has a USC transfer receiver yep. coming in, so there might be some new parts around him, like you're saying, the new scheme as well. Yep. But he's a very talented player. I think has all the tools to really be the stud of that offense. Yeah, just a, guy, a name to watch for sure. All right, let's uh, let's get things going. Before we get to Tony, I want to talk about the rest of the show. We've got uh, draft buzz with Tony. We're gonna to go through all the top players in the Big Ten, just like we did last week. Then we're gonna go with Mister Relevant. I welcome in our friend Ross Tucker, who's gonna be the color commentator for the Eagles in the preseason this year. We're gonna talk all about one of the top teams in the Big Ten. Penn State, another local team uh, the Eagles fans and other fans, obviously uh, outside of the Eagles, are very well aware of and know some of these top players. 
Ross is uh, very tied into that program and knows a lot about some of the top players there. Uh, and then we'll wrap things up. I actually want to throw in a quote, uh, Ben, from a podcast you listen to. Uh, my chat over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast with Josh Gaddis, the Michigan offensive coordinator. He's going to talk all about his trio of talented receivers, including uh, Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones, a very intriguing group of receivers there. So a lot to get to. Let's start things off with Draft Buzz with Tony Pauline. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Well, joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, Draft Buzz, we're talking the Big Ten Conference. So a lot of really quality players coming out of this region of the country each and every season. Tony, we're going to propose this question to you first. Who is the best overall prospect from the Big Ten this year based off what you're hearing so far at this point? Well, I think it's going to be Chase Young. I, I think people overrated him uh, immediately after the 2019 draft, but I still think he's far. And, well, I wouldn't say far and away, but he is the best uh, prospect in the Big Ten. He's a natural pass rusher. He's very athletic. There are some flaws in his game, um, but I, I, it's definitely Chase Young. And, and like it seems every year, this is an Ohio State-heavy year as far as NFL prospects from the Big Ten are concerned, and Chase Young stands atop of them. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy that I'm going to talk about a little bit. I know you've watched him a good amount as well, Ben. Yeah, Chase Young, I completely agree, Tony. I think he's a little bit overvalued right after the 2019 draft. I don't think he has the pass rush acclimate of a Nick or a Joey Bosa. Definitely not. Definitely has some flaws in his game and still has some room to improve, but certainly one of the easily the top three or top five prospects in the conference. All right, well, who's, uh, for your money, Ben, who's the number, the number one player in the conference? Well, you know, it's tough to argue Chase Young, but I'm actually going to stick with it, one of his teammates on the perimeter, right. and that's Jeffrey Okuda. And he's a little bit under the radar nice. right now. But I think when it's all said and done after the 2019 season, he's going to be one of the premier prospects looking to go to the NFL. And obviously having those big, long, tall cover corners in the NFL that can run, that can play the ball down the field, that's feisty and competitive. He's every bit of 6'1 with long arms. But in addition, he has quick feet, loose hips, and is an aggressive player. I think he's a perfect corner for today's NFL. And it looks like a press corner that you built out of a Petri dish. Well, and so to give you guys at home a little bit of a look behind the scenes here, you know, look, and Tony does this the same way. He'll watch teams as a whole, right? And try and watch all the players. And Tony, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you'll watch all the players on one side of the ball at a time for each team. So I go through and I'm watching Ohio State and I'm watching Chase Young and Malik Harrison and I'm watching Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller, the safeties in that secondary or the DBs in that secondary. And this kid stands out, Jeffrey Akuda, and I'm like, oh, number one, I write him down. I'm like, oh, this is great. So I have him as a guy that I'm going to watch down the road. And then literally later that afternoon, Daniel Jeremiah goes on and he said, Jeffrey Akuda is a better corner than anybody in last year's draft. He's going to be a high pick. And I'm just kicking. I text Ben right away. I'm like, what do you know about Jeffrey? Like, I, I just watched all of Ohio State, and I didn't take any notes down on Jeffrey Okuda. Well, sometimes you try to get ahead of the curve, but there's a <laughs> lot of very good quality draft analysts out there that are always getting ahead and maybe a step ahead of you. And yep. DJ's one of the best, and no he question. saw Okuda right away. And it's not hard to see anytime you put on that Buckeye defense that really he talented. flashes out. Yep. Uh, uh, so let, for me me, about, let me say this about Okuda. I mean, yeah. the word is... Barring any major injury, the word is he's going to enter the draft. And from talking to scouts, they felt that he would have been the first cornerback uh, selected in, in this past uh, 2019 draft. Mm. Now, that's not saying much because, uh, I mean, who was the, when was the first cornerback uh, selected? And all the 
or most of the cornerbacks went much later yeah. uh, than people uh, initially uh, uh, prognosticated. But the word is, is right now, if, if he has a, a year that's e- equivalent to or better than last year and he's injury-free, he's going to enter the draft. If I remember right, the Big Ten title game was when he really flashed to me against, uh, against Northwestern. I completely agree with Tony, though. When yeah. you look at the Byron Murphys and the Greedy Williams of last draft, Okuda probably could have slid into that first round yeah. and been the first corner off the board. Okay, so it'll be interesting to see. All right, so uh, for me, I'm going to go Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin, who, look, the big knock really co- for him coming out is going to be just the amount of mileage he's got uh, on the odometer. has just been worked into the ground by the Badgers and, look, has been extremely productive. He might break the rushing record for a career. Uh, one of the first guys to, to run for 2,000 three straight years. I mean, he's just been outstanding uh, for Wisconsin. A, real, a workhorse back, can handle a heavy load, can make people miss. He's got burst. He's got power. Really, really impressive player. The, really, the big question to me is third down. You know, he, he's not a, a very accomplished receiver. He kind of gets rotated in and out, so you don't see a lot of him in pass pro. So I'm very interested to watch Jonathan Taylor this fall from a third down standpoint. Yeah, just really quickly, the two concerns that I'm hearing is what do you do with him on third down in the pass game? And then there's some that question his home run ability. Yeah. But I promise you, he joined the track team in high school almost as a side hobby and a joke, ended up winning the state 100 meters. Mm. So this kid is explosive. He's fast. He has the long speed as well as running between the tackles and the contact balance. So I just want to put all those skeptics, you know, uh, quiet them about his home run speed. I think he could really take the top off the defense and, uh, mm. you know, finish those big runs. Tony, well, I'm, how told do you... that he, I'm told that he recently ran a 4-3. Wow. Uh, it's time that a 4-3. Now, the thing about it is, is you know, especially with a running back, there's straight line downhill speed. And then there's perimeter speed. Yeah. And, and I think what Taylor is, he's, in my opinion, he's a between the tackles downhill type of guy. He's not a real creative ball carrier. He's got some ability to uh, make defenders miss on the inside. But, uh, you know, when you talk about what are you going to do with him on third down, yeah, I, I mean, can you run him on like a toss sweep? Can you run him around mm-hmm. the perimeter? Or is he just a guy that, that goes downhill? That's my concern with Taylor. All right, so let's go to the, uh, the next superlative here, Tony. Top offensive senior in the Big Ten. Who you got here? Well, considering that uh, year after year you have your top underclassmen uh, enter the draft, especially from the Big Ten, and really what it does is it it, it, it just uh, narrows the amount of top senior prospects uh, that are going to be in the draft. I'm going to go with Austin Mack of Ohio State. Now, I got him graded as a fifth rounder. I like him as a receiver. He's got excellent size. He's a, a decent pass catcher. Speed is the big question for him. Is he a guy that's going to be able to run under 4 or 5 5? Uh, I like Austin Mack, but my choice of Austin Mack is as mu- has as much to do with the fact that all the underclassmen, or, or, or I say all the guys that should have been seniors this year in the Big Ten, are right now playing mm-hmm. in the NFL or are in NFL camps. Yeah, I'm going to go with one of his teammates in uh, K.J. Hill because I, I actually haven't studied Mac, so I don't want to make the comparison and say, oh, Hill's definitely better. Um, but I did study Hill because he flashed so often for me last year. Just ridiculous hands. He has the ability to make outstanding catches. He made a few down the seam last year. Uh, I think he really works best in the middle of the field. He's more quick than he is explosive. I don't know if he's quite dynamic enough to win outside the numbers, but he's crafty. He's smart. He's a really, really mm. good uh, possession type at the catch point I, I do like a, a KJ Hill yeah it's interesting you guys both pick Buckeyes because usually these talented Ohio State players don't make it to their senior yeah. year 
Uh, so I'm going with a team that's usually much more senior dominant, and that's the Minnesota Gophers and wide receiver Tyler Johnson, Interesting. who put up 1,100 yards last year, 78 catches, 12 touchdowns, can really make a push for the Triple Crown in the Big Ten this year, mm. uh, sort of what Austin Carr did at Northwestern a couple years ago. But this kid is tall. He's 6'2", 200 pounds, twitchy off the line, runs great routes, very soft hands, great in the quick game and down the field. Very well-rounded receiver that reminded me a lot of Devontae Adams at Fresno State. That you know took a year or two once he got to the NFL to really find his way. But a great runner, great releases, and good hands. That's a great combination for any receiver. And just having the good size, being more in the 6'2", 6'3", frame than a lot of these receivers in this class that are more around six foot six one Hmm. all right well let's uh move on to underclassmen now in the big 10 on the offensive side again not saying this guy's definitely going to come out or anything like that but tony who intrigues you who piques your interest the most of the from the underclassmen ranks in the big 10 on offense it's got to be tyler biadaz the uh, center from wisconsin Mm -hmm. a guy who i absolutely loved loved him off of his redshirt freshman film but i felt that he's been one of the best centers uh, in the country, really did not play up to expectations in 2018, but he had a hip injury. And what I learned at the Senior Bowl was the hip injury was su- was such that it would have it would have been a red flag during the draft had he entered. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers wanted him to have surgery on the hip after spring football. His handlers, people he consulted with, said no way. So he had it before uh, spring football. If he's healthy, I mean, this guy is a dynamic center, uh, basically in the Billy Price mold, except I think he's better in motion, better on the second level than Billy Price. A lot of it will depend on on his health, yeah. uh, but I, I just love Biadaz. I think he's a complete player. He's only going to get better as he physically matures and just naturally gets stronger. Uh, and really, in a uh, in a program that has consistently put out you know, NFL talent on the offensive line, th- this is one of my favorite guys in a long while. Yeah, and they've had a lot of turnover on that offensive line from last year to this year, so he'll be counted on to be a leader of that unit. And you talk about offensive lines that consistently put people into the NFL – I'm going to go with Iowa, and I'm going to go say Tristan Wirfs. Now, we, we all uh, always ingest uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list, right, the top 50 athletes in college football. Tristan Wirfs, number one on the list, and just some outstanding numbers uh, in the weight room, just a, a freak show athlete for the position, but a big guy. I mean, he's over 330 pounds, six foot five, first true freshman to ever start a tackle for Kirk Ferentz. So a really intriguing player. When you watch him, he makes his bones moving people again against their will. I mean, he's outstanding at the point of attack, strong, powerful, tough to move off his spot. Tristan Wirfs, uh, the right tackle only, and that will w- worry some people. Oh, you know, can he, can he play on the left side? Can he play guard? We don't know that yet, but Tristan Wirfs, to me, is very, very intriguing. You know, Wirfs' stock has really skyrocketed this summer as scouts are starting to dig into uh, his tape and yeah. looking at his workouts, but let's not forget about their left tackle, Alaric Jackson, mm-hmm. who's 6'6", 320, with 24 starts at left tackle. He's an all-Big Ten player, too, really. Second team all big 10 a very good player experience is a great run blocker has the athleticism to get up to the second level and uh, execute reach blocks a little bit slow in the play processing and you want to see a little bit more secured uh, pass protection against the speed rushers Mm -hmm. but let's not forget about him as Tristan Wirf's stock is skyrocketing as well very good left tackle all right, so Tony, let's uh, let's go back to you. Top defensive senior in the Big Ten. So we're going to the defensive side. Who is who is at the top of the list for you from the senior ranks? 
Got to go back to Ohio State, and mm. that would be Damon Arnett, the cornerback. Uh, I like him. He's a, he's got excellent size, over six foot tall. He's got a, 200 pounds, runs in the four fours. I think he's got a relatively polished game. There, there are some areas for improvement. Uh, but a, a guy who I think was the most consistent uh, at Ohio State last year, and they had several good defensive backs, several good cornerbacks. Uh, right now, I grade him as a potential late first-round choice. At worst case, if he plays as I expect or plays equal to what he did in 2019, I, I think Arnett's a top 45 selection. And Arnett is a guy I'm going to talk about in a little bit later. I don't want to tease too much. But uh, I'm going to go with one of his teammates. I studied Malik Harrison, Ben, and this guy really, really impressed me. NFL size, 6'3", about 250 pounds, depending on who you ask. He's a little shade over 250, shade under 250. And you think, oh, you know, throwback. Uh, you know, that kind of guy doesn't play in today's NFL. This guy is athletic. He's explosive, can play sideline to sideline, really impressive short area burst. The big question for me watching Malik Harrison is, does he have the, the, the instincts, the play recognition skills early in the down to not fall step, overcome that, and then make a play to the football? I think that's really the big question because you've got all the physical tools on film. He reminded me a lot of a guy, Ben, that you and I both liked coming out a, a couple years ago, Fred Warner, who was a second-round pick to the 49ers, had a great rookie season last year. So I think when you Look at Malik Harrison as a senior. Take that next step mentally. Now you're talking about a guy that could go in the top 50, in my opinion. Yeah, no question. I'm actually going to stay in the secondary with Tony here, but I'm going to go with the University of Michigan senior cornerback Lavert Hill, mm, yep. uh, who is one of the best corners returning to school uh, in 2018 last year. I think PFF had him as their number one power five corner uh, after the 2017 season. And in Don Brown's scheme, it's a very NFL-style defense, a lot of press man. He needs his corners to be able to play inside, outside, press man, zone. So he's done it all on tape there. He has great ball skills. He has the long speed. He's competitive at the catch point. The one concern with Hill that I'm hearing is the injuries. He's missed the third straight spring with a hip injury. His groin yep. keeps acting up. So he needs to prove that he could stay healthy and stay on the field and especially in the offseason and work with those younger kids. Mm. Uh, but I expect a big season out of the senior, uh, LaVert Hill. All right, let's go to the uh, the underclassmen. Tony, uh, we've talked about some of these kids we're going to talk about already, but who is the most intriguing defensive underclassman for you? Well, uh, it would be Okuda, who we, yeah. we, we already spoke about because of the position he plays, primarily because of his upside. I think he, he's got a tremendous amount of upside. It's just a matter of him getting there. I don't grade him as a first-round pick just yet. I think there are some areas of his game that he really needs to work on, and I want to see him be a feature starter. I want to see him be a, a more consistent uh, number one guy in the depth chart, which he wasn't last year. But if, if everything pans out the way people expect, as I said, he's expected to enter the draft, then he's going to be in a very early selection. And for me, it would be, I'll go with another guy we've talked about a little bit already. He was Tony's top prospect in the conference, and that's Chase Young, the defensive end. First year as a starter last year, had 10 sacks, led the team. I think when you look at Chase Young, Ben, you and I kind of see him, see him similarly. We want to see him get a little bit better with his hands, uh, his overall pass rush plan, things we talked about. I asked Isaiah Prince, who was an Ohio, uh, the right tackle for Ohio State last year. I saw him at the combine. I said, hey, what was it like going up against Chase Young? Give me a good Chase Young bit. 
and he said, you know what, going up against him every day in practice, he would embarrass you if you didn't bring your A game every day. Like, he was a really hard practice player, which I like to hear. I want to see that more often in the game, but Chase Young, DeMatha Catholic uh, grad, same high school as Brian Westbrook, a number of great athletes coming out of DeMatha. Very, very intriguing player, very high upside. You want him to reach that ceiling. Yeah, I think the prototypical player for the intriguing defensive category is Iowa defensive end A.J. Espinessa. Yeah, uh, and that's the that's the battle, right, is those two guys. No question. Like, yep. And the, what's so intriguing about Espinessa is, uh, I hope I'm saying his last name correct, by yeah. the way, uh, is that he had 10 and a half sacks last year while playing less than 50% of the snaps. It's crazy. So there's a lot of question as to why he wasn't on the field. He was very successful when he was on the field. So is there other things going on, you know, with his ability to play the run or mm. is he, you know, just a, a scheme fit for them and things like that? He's talked about his ability. He needs to stay healthy and get his body in better shape and have more of a motor and have that endurance. So there may be a bit of a conditioning factor that he's really working on this offseason to increase that uh, play time and snap percentage. But he's long, he's strong, he plays that four-point stance. He's not this twitchy, flexible edge rusher that wants to bend the corner and win on these high-side rushes. He wants to go through tackles with great inside moves, very strong with long arms, and very, very productive when he was on the field. But the question is, where was he when he wasn't on the field? Yeah, and I wonder with him, Kirk Ferentz is kind of known for sticking with upperclassmen. I wonder, hey, they had some guys ahead of him, and that's why he was off the depth chart. But you can't uh, can't question the production for no sure. No question. All right, let's go to uh, next category, our sleeper from the Big Ten, a guy that might surprise us. People aren't necessarily talking about too much right now. Tony, give it to us. What do you got? You know, Wisconsin's known, as I mentioned before, about their offensive for their offensive linemen, but mm. they've also put a good number of tight ends into the league. True. And they have a kid who is a redshirt sophomore by the name of Jake Ferguson. And when I watched the film uh, a couple of a month ago, <clears throat> this kid Jake Ferguson, number eighty-four, their tight end, just stood out to me. Excellent length, six foot four, goes about two hundred thirty pounds. A terrific pass catcher. Gets down the field, gets in the open seam in the, in the middle of the field, uses the sidelines well, uh, plays a tight end position like a possession receiver, although he's got excellent size. He's got excellent growth potential. Not the fastest guy in the world, but fast enough to split the seam. Listen, I already have a top 45 grade on Jake Ferguson, so I expect big things from him, uh, and I think he's a guy to keep an eye on moving forward. So I'm going to bring up a guy, and, and it's funny. We didn't share what our answers were going to be beforehand. The guy that I picked for my sleeper is actually the guy, Tony, that you picked for your top defensive senior. So maybe my guy's not a sleeper. Uh, that's Damon Arnett, the corner from Ohio State. And here's why I, th- I can kind of consider him a sleeper is that he's not going to wow you with his tools. He's not like the, the fastest or twitchiest guy. He doesn't have great recovery speed, but I like his competitiveness. I like his instincts. I think his ball skills, he showed flashes last year, but he has given up big plays in the past. But I, I like his overall game. I think he's going to stick in the NFL. I don't know how high his ceiling is, um, but I'll say this. Uh, DJ Moore, a couple years ago at the Combine, told me that uh, Damon, Ar- Damon Arnett was the toughest corner they had faced that season in 2017. So I like that little bit from DJ Moore, a, f- a future first-round pick. Obviously went to the, the Carolina Panthers last year. But I think when you look at Arnett, you're kind of looking at the total package. Competitive kid, instinctive, has that inside-out versatility. It's proven he did see a lot of time in the slot. 
You know, there's a program on the upswing in the uh, the Big Ten. I think it's University of Nebraska. There's yeah, a player no that no one's really talking about on the defensive side, and Mohamed Barry, who is their defensive MVP last year. He's a redshirt senior. He's 6'1", 230, really gets downhill in the run game, had 10 tackles for loss last year, was their team's leading tackler with mm. over 100 tackles. Really great story, too. He's high school teammates with Robert Kandice, had some great battles uh, in his childhood and just uh, going up against him growing up. Grew up in Africa, when it moved over there at the mm. age of one. But I think so that really people aren't talking about. And when I look at the collective group of linebackers in the Big Ten with Joe Bocci at Michigan State and Patty Fisher at Northwestern and Malik Harrison, I think Muhammad Barry is really going to make a push to being one of the top linebackers in the conference when it's all said and done. Yeah, Nebraska, those players there are going to start to be more known. Also returning a lot of the guys up front, I think four of the five top defensive linemen. They also got Oklahoma Oklahoma State transfer, Mm -hmm. a big nose tackle to maybe keep him free. So I really like the way they're turning the page there with Scott Frost. All right, well, let's go to now a set of players that have the most to prove in the Big Ten. So, guys, maybe whether it's coming back from injury or maybe they underperformed a little bit from the eyes of the media and the outside. Tony, most to prove. Who's got the most to prove here from the Big Ten this year? On my board, it's got to be Jordan Fuller, the safety from none other than Ohio State. I mean, you come off the 2017 film, Jordan Fuller looked like a potential top 45 pick. In 2018, he disappeared. I mean, he was rarely making plays, and I think it's uh, noticeable. Scouts grade him presently as a priority free agent. I have him as a six-rounder. He reminds me a lot of a guy that I know you're familiar with, uh, Fran, a guy by the name of Kirk Coleman, who also came out of uh, Ohio State, a guy who's still in the league for uh, at the age of 31 you know not the flashiest athlete but a smart guy a good football player he's not going to time well in the 40 but if he gets his game back to where it was in 2017 when I watched that film he is definitely worth a pick somewhere in the middle of the last day of the draft Mm. uh you you know a guy who just doesn't make mental mistakes he's just got to get it back to where it was where he was as a sophomore and start to be more productive on the field yeah, I'm going to go to the, the quarterback position, and I'm going to go with Ohio State's rival with Michigan quarterback Shea Patterson. Former five-star recruit, was the number one quarterback in the country, uh, goes to Ole Miss, was productive there, played early in his career. They have issues. He transfers. He goes to Michigan. They go with Harbaugh, and it's like, oh, man, they're going to be great this year. And they were just up and down. They fell a little bit flat last year. They lost a couple key games. Can he come back this year and have a strong season and kind of raise that star a little bit? Uh, We all know about the talent. He's athletic. He can move. He can throw the ball pretty well. But even just this summer, I mean, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh saying that he's going to split reps with Dylan McCaffrey, the younger quarterback. So it'll be very interesting to see if Shea Patterson is able to kind of recover here and what kind of senior season he can put together. Yeah, and I'll stick at the quarterback position and go back over to the University of Iowa and Nathan Stanley, yep. who's being deemed a game manager at Iowa and obviously just handing the ball off and executing some play action schemes. But I think this kid has some tools to work with, operates from under center, reminds me a lot of a Matt Schaub type of player hmm. that if he were to get into like a Kubiak type of offense, it would just suit him perfectly. No question. Was one of five juniors on the team on the leadership council, was a permanent captain in 2017 as a sophomore. He's experienced. He's a leader. I think he just needs to prove that he has some tools for the NFL as well and that he's not just a game manager at Iowa. Really needs to improve his completion percentage. Has never eclipsed 60%. Yeah. So I'd like to see him be a little bit more accurate. And there's a lot of pro-style elements in that offense to show scouts that, hey, I fit in. He looks his best. It's funny you say the the Kubiak thing. He looks his best when it's 
under center play action, two or three man route concept, just grip it and rip it. Like and he's a big he boy too. Yeah. He's six four, every bit of two forty. I think he looks the part, but does he have enough tools to excite scouts? And you know, does he have the arm talent to really make those tight throws in the NFL? All right, well, there are some scouts. There are some scouts who love him. I mean, some yeah. scouts have graded him as a third round choice. Uh, yep. I, when I watch him play, my, my my concern about him is the consistency, especially the consistency of his accuracy. Yep. I mean, he's having wide open receivers work to make the receptions. He's no missing wide open guys, which is why I think he's getting uh, labeled uh, as the game manager. I mean, to me, he's a stronger arm version of Ryan Finley, mm. but he's got uh, he's got more upside. You know, also, I just chime in real quick. He kind of reminded me of the ebbs and flows of Nathan Peterman as well. Right. That flash some abilities where you're like, man, this kid would fit great in the NFL offense. And then the next week, he would miss wide open players. But uh, we have obviously seen how his career has gone in the NFL. Yep. And that was more of a bust than the uh, the boom side of it. But I think Stanley has a similar type of up and down in his game. His first year as a starter, as a sophomore, uh, really, really impressed me with his poise. Like just taking huge hits, staring down the gun barrel, and delivering the throws over the middle of the field again you just want to see it more he does consistent. all the management yeah. aspect right, right. As, as much as i hate to say that right he just really needs to show that he has the ability to make those difficult throws as well all right let's wrap up the conversation the newcomers on the scene who's a guy that we're not really talking about right now uh you know for one reason or another maybe it's a transfer they're stepping in for a guy who left for the nfl or who graduated uh now we're going to be talking about him this year tony uh who you got here from the big 10 I'm going to go to a school that's not been mentioned, Purdue, and their tight end, Bryson Hopkins, who's going to be a, a first-year starter. Played a little bit last year and had some gaudy stats. Didn't have many receptions, only had 34 receptions, but for 583 yards, was averaging 17.1 yards per wow. catch when he played behind uh, Cole Herdman, who was the starter. I, I mean, he has the measurables teams want at the uh, tight end position, 6'3 and a half, 235 to 240 pounds. Runs and plays in the in the low four sevens. He's got long arms. He's got big hands. He's a smart kid. There are some scouts now who are already grading him as a third round pick based mm -hmm. on what they feel he can be. If he does that, you know, people are going to start talking about Bryson Hopkins. So he's got a, a world of upside. He's going to have the opportunity now at Purdue since he's going to be the starter in that wide open offense that loves to throw the ball. They're going to have a new quarterback there, obvi obviously. Um, but Hopkins is a name to keep, you know, to remember moving forward at the tight end position. And teams are always looking for game breakers at that spot. Uh, I'm going to go, and you guys, you, you got to get a sense of this now because uh, I've mentioned it a few times. I like talking a guy, with guys at the Combine about maybe not necessarily what's going on that year, but some guys down the road. And so I asked Amani Hooker, who was a mid-round pick in this past April's draft, who's a guy that we need to know in that Iowa secondary next year? And he told me Geno Stone is going to be the leader of that yeah. group. He's an upcoming junior uh, from that group, 5'11", 209 pounds. He's going to be my newcomer guy just to keep an eye on. Amani Hooker was a, a very good player for the Hawkeyes last year, spoke very highly of him to me. You know, I'm pretty excited about this quarterback, Hunter Johnson, that's showing up at Northwestern mm -hmm. via Clemson. He sat out last year, watched Clayton Thorson finish his career at Northwestern, but this was the number one high school quarterback a couple years ago. Not Tua, not Tate Martell, not Sam Erlinger down at Texas, but rather Hunter Johnson, mm. who is 6'2", 210. He's athletic. He's got a strong arm. He's listed as a dual threat, but he could play from the pocket. He plays up on his toes and can really make all the throws from the pocket. Didn't play a whole lot at Clemson, obviously, behind Kelly Bryant, and then they went right to Trevor Lawrence, so he was kind of set to transfer and find a new home. But after sitting out last year, I think a lot of people kind of forgot he was a number one quarterback coming out of high school, and he has a lot of tools, and that offense can really uh, you know, show some things in the NFL or turn your back to the defense like Clayton Thorson did. Uh, and I think he can make all the throws for Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, a lot of players to cover from the Big Ten. Tony, really appreciate it as always. We will talk to you next week. We'll break down the ACC with you. 
Look forward to it. Well, great stuff there, as always, from Tony and obviously from Ben as well. I hope you guys learned a lot. And if you have a young Eagles fan in your life that you really feel like wants to learn more about the game and just get more connected to the team, I would check out the Eagles Kids Club. Share the tradition of Eagles football with a young fan in your life with an Eagles Kids Club membership for just 20 bucks. Members receive an amazing welcome kit, invites to special events like the annual Halloween party. There's opportunities to win Eagles prizes with monthly contests. So much more. There's a lot involved there with the Kids Club. Just visit PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash Kids Club today to sign up. Now, let's get to our next part of the podcast, our interview with our Mr. Relevant this week. That's Ross Tucker from RossTucker.com, our friend from the Eagles preseason broadcast. Let's talk some Penn State football. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, really excited to welcome into the show to the Journey to the Draft podcast, our friend Ross Tucker, the Eagles color color analyst for the preseason broadcast this summer. Ross, welcome back to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Last year, uh, you were the first person on the show to talk about Miles Sanders, obviously went on to be a second-round pick for the Eagles, so uh, hoping you can share some knowledge with us about the Nittany Lions today. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, Fran, I'm I'm a Pennsylvania kid, so I grew up big-time Penn State fan as well as the Eagles, of course. So kind of cool. I do like a podcast, radio, talking Penn State football, and then obviously getting a chance to do the Eagles preseason games on television is a dream come true. And, you know, getting a chance to do the pregame show for WIP during the season. So very, very cool for me. I never actually got the chance to play for Penn State or the Eagles, so I guess this is the next best thing. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, and I, it's funny because I, I want to do. I do want to start because I remember a year ago you and I sitting down, and like I said, you brought up Miles Sanders as the guy that was stepping in for Saquon Barkley. He's a guy that was a former number one recruit, and you know everybody would know his name a year from then, and obviously that is the case. So I want to ask you now. They've got two guys they've got to replace in that backfield for Penn State. You've got Trace McSorley at quarterback, Miles Sanders at running back. How are the Nittany Lions going to replace those two guys in the production they got from that backfield a year ago? Well, for people that haven't been paying attention, the quarterback situation is really interesting because everyone really for years thought it would be Tommy Stevens who would be entering his fifth year at Penn State this fall he was with the team through spring ball he has had some medical issues he was not able to really participate in spring ball and all indications are by the way i mean this is a guy that when he was a redshirt freshman and trace mcsorley was a redshirt sophomore they had quite the battle for the starting quarterback job after christian hackenberg had left penn state And in fact, there were some Penn State coaches that thought that Tommy Stevens won that battle and deserved to start as a redshirt freshman over Trace McSorley. I really think that some of the intangibles and having some experience is what led the Penn State and the Lions to go with McSorley. And the rest, as they say, is history. He has pretty much every record in school history, had a terrific three-year run the Nittany Lions, but they got Stevens involved. Uh, they call it the Lion position. So they really thought, everybody thought it, it was his turn. He would be the guy. Unfortunately, you know, he's gotten hurt a couple times, was not able to participate in spring ball. 
And at the end of spring ball, I guess, you know, with it being his fifth year, he and his father wanted a guarantee that he would be the starter for Penn State this fall. And I still, Fran, think he would have been. But James Franklin just wasn't going to do that. Sean Clifford, who's a redshirt sophomore from St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, had a really good spring, performed well on spot duty last season, uh, has some similarities to Trace McSorley in terms of temperament and attention to detail and the intangibles that are important, especially at that position. And so James Franklin, especially with Stevens not participating in spring ball because of another foot procedure, said, look, I, I can't guarantee that to you. Tommy's got a great shot. You know, he'll take the first snap in practice, but it, it's going to be a competition with Tommy coming off this procedure. And I, I guess the, the Stevens family felt like that was a chance they couldn't take. He's transferred to Mississippi State to reunite with Joe Moorhead which really means Sean Clifford's the man. I mean, they have a redshirt freshman, Will Levis. That would shock me if Will Levis were to beat out Sean Clifford. It'll be the redshirt sophomore from Cincinnati, who I would say does everything well without really being outstanding in any area, perhaps other than football acumen, football IQ. Good, not great arm. Uh, he's improved his athleticism to be able to run, but he's not as fast as McSorley, who was the fastest quarterback at the Combine. As for running back, they really have three or four guys that'll be in the mix. The guy that'll get the, the lion's share of the touches will be Ricky Slade. He's a true sophomore from Virginia. He was the primary backup to Miles Sanders a year ago. Really showed some flashes. He was a five-star recruit you know, one of the top three to five running backs in the country. Penn State really has something going now at running back. I, I think it's almost the Saquon effect, and then you get Miles Sanders right after that. You know, they've got a good a good sales pitch these days. Journey Brown is a sprint champ. He'll be in the mix, and then they have a couple of true freshmen, Noah Kane from IMG Academy and Devin Ford from Virginia, both of whom have a chance to get some touches this year. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Ricky Slade. He was a guy that flashed last year uh, in my eyes. And um, notable that Tommy Stevens, we actually talked about him last week on the show. Tony Rassiopi was down at the Manning Passing Academy. Uh, I had asked t- Tony about uh, about, about Tommy Stevens, and he said that he'd certainly uh, impressed. And Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl has also said that uh, Stevens really, really impressed people uh, down at the Manning Passing Camp. So uh, notable. We'll see what he does this year for Mississippi State. All right, uh, next question for you. Same kind of topic, though. A lot of turnover on that Penn State offensive line. You know, obviously, you've got some guys that went off to the NFL. You know, Connor McGovern, I believe, was a third-round pick. Uh, Ryan Bates is here in Philadelphia as an undrafted free agent. Uh, they had some other turnover on that unit as well. I know you have an eye on the trenches. Who are some guys that are, that are on the up-and-coming uh, here for Penn State on the offensive line? So they've got three starters back. Steven Gonzalez will be a redshirt senior at left guard. Michael Mennett is a redshirt junior at center. Will Fries, a redshirt junior at right tackle. He's a South Jersey kid. All three of those guys. Gonzalez is a Jersey kid as well, and Michael Mennett's actually from my hometown in Reading, Pennsylvania. So all three of those guys started last year. 
they'll play again this year. They got to replace, you said it, McGovern at right guard and Ryan Bates at left tackle. Left tackle is going to be Rasheed Walker. He's a redshirt freshman from Maryland, 6'6", 324. And in the five, maybe six years that I've been evaluating Penn State recruits as part of the Keystone Sports Network, He's the best offensive line prospect they've gotten and probably one of the five best recruits they've gotten. I mean, he is really, really talented. Now, I will say watching him in spring ball, you know, in in the blue-white game, he didn't finish every play as much as I would have liked. But you watch him, he's got tremendous size and length, moves extremely well, uh, showed a lot of physicality on his high school video. I mean, he made plays on the defensive line in the high school, which is exactly what you're looking for from a left tackle prospect. I mean, he's the guy, he's the one guy they have that looks like a first-round caliber talent, but he hasn't played yet. So we'll see. He played a little bit with the four-game rule last year, but we'll see how he does. Very, very talented. The question will be the, the, the amount of growing pains. Right guard, I think, is going to end up being C.J. Thorpe, who's interesting. He's a redshirt sophomore. He actually played defensive line last year. I mean, they were so light on the D-line that they put C.J. at D-line last year. Now they're flipping him back to right guard. He's going to compete with another redshirt sophomore named Mike Miranda, who I would compare as sort of the Stefan Wisniewski of Penn State's offensive line this year. And I think ideally – Miranda's the next guy in at center and both guards, kind of the swing inside guy. Thorpe has a lot of physical abilities from Pittsburgh Central Catholic. He's about 6'3 and a half, 320, very powerful, and by far the best finisher on the offensive line, probably the best finisher in the program. He's got a real, real nasty streak to the point where in high school, and even a couple times at Penn State, it's been problematic in terms of you know post-snap penalties. Uh, the one issue I've seen from him, because he is maybe the best run blocker they have, is you know he has struggled at times in pass protection. It looked much improved in spring ball. So I'm actually really looking forward to watching him play. Well, let's get to some guys that are draft eligible for this year, and perhaps there's nobody that has as much buzz uh, from the Penn State program entering the 2019 season for the 2020 draft than defensive lineman Etor Grossmatos. I remember talking in the spring uh, with, we, we mentioned Ryan Bates and Connor McGovern, and talked with both guys at the Combine, and they were raving about Grossmatos and what he can do from a physical standpoint. 6'5", 260 pounds, he's long. Watching him on film, you see the flashes of greatness. I mean, this guy's got a lot of potential. Where do you see him right now? How do you kind of view his star uh, entering You know, what will be his redshirt junior season? So he still has two seasons of eligibility. Yeah, so this, this is his true junior year. Um so he's only, you know, this will be his third year. So, yes, he does have two more, like you said. I would be shocked if he uses both of them. I'd be pretty surprised, Fran, if he's not uh, at least uh, uh, an early second-round pick. My guess is he's, he's a first-round pick. He really came on last year, over 20 tackles for loss, and he was rotating physically he looks like an Adonis. I mean, he is all of 6'5", approaching 6'6", 
260, but you know, you can see the rippled abs. I mean, he's just built the way you want to be built. And, you know, he's a guy that was probably the fourth, fifth, sixth most highly rated recruit in that class. But I had ranked him number one in, in his class when he came to Penn State just because I thought the physical ability and the effort were so impressive. Another Virginia kid, Penn State dominates the state of Virginia. And I think what he does best so far, Fran, is just how well he moves at his size and how relentless he is. He definitely has some things to polish in terms of a pass rush plan, in terms of his hands. You know, this is not a Bosa, so to speak, at this point in terms of being polished, but you can look at that two ways. You know, you can look at that and say, well, he really needs to improve that. The flip side is, man, if he does, and he's got a good D-line coach in Sean Spencer, the sky really is the limit. Yeah, I think there's some some comparisons you can draw with him and Rashawn Gary a year ago. The difference being, uh, Gross Matos was ridiculously productive last year, whereas Gary was missing that kind of production. So uh, to your point, I think you can kind of point look at that and say, look, uh, he's not completely all the way there, but look at what he was able to do considering that. And I think that's what you're. If you're a fan of Gross Matos, that's what you're kind of banking on. Let me ask you about one of his teammates, uh, the defensive tackle Robert Windsor. He's going to be a senior this year. Uh, it's another good looking kid, uh, big run stuffer, big, strong, really strong anchor on the inside. What are your thoughts uh, on Robert Windsor? You know, it's interesting. Earlier in his career, I thought he was just kind of a plugger, right? I thought he was just kind of a run stuffer. And then I had a conversation with his defensive line coach, Sean Spencer, and he said, Ross, he's a pro. He's going to be a pro. And the more you study him, Part of this might have been because when I watched his high school video, Fran, I actually thought just watching him at like 6'3", 290 in high school, I thought he'd probably end up on the offensive side of the ball. But that hasn't happened. He's been very solid for them since he was a redshirt freshman. I mean, he's gotten a lot of playing time during his career, and he's very good against the run. I think he's a shade all the way. I think he's a nose I don't think he's a guy that projects to probably playing in the sub packages in the NFL, but he is athletic enough to make some plays in the backfield and to get some pass rush. I don't think people are going to look and say, hey, he's a guy we want in our sub package, but I think he's athletic enough and does well enough in terms of pushing the pocket that I think teams, he, he looks to me like a mid to late round pick as a guy that is battling, you know, to be the fourth, maybe fifth defensive tackle, you know, and and has some similarities, not quite as powerful, but has some similarities to former Eagles defensive tackle Bo Allen, Hmm. who's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think they are similar type of players. Well, one guy that is getting a little bit of buzz, and I didn't, I don't know much about this kid. You know, Jim Nagy had brought him up as being on the Senior Bowl radar earlier this spring, uh, and that's Cameron Brown, a strong side linebacker, defensive end kind of player. I don't, again, don't know much about him. I haven't studied him yet. Uh, what can you tell us about Cam Brown and what he could be at the next level? So he is a really, really unique player. You know, you just don't find that many linebackers at any level, friend. They're six five. I mean, he is legit six five 
with really long arms. Watching him in high school, Fran, I thought he'd end up at defensive end. I mean, first of all, there like are no six five linebackers for the most part. It just doesn't happen. And secondly, watching him, I didn't think he had great instincts in high school as a linebacker, and I thought he's going to end up as a DN rushing off the edge. He hasn't really quite filled out like that. He struggles to keep weight on and to put weight on. He's finally up to low 230s, but he's played like 215, 220 most of his career, but he moves really, really well, covers a lot of ground. Even as a freshman, he was blocking punts and blocking extra points and really making plays on special teams, which my guess would be that's kind of where he gets his start in the NFL. We'll see. It's his fourth year playing now. He talked recently at Big Ten Media Days about, you know, being able to, you know, finally get, you know, some of the some of the growing pains behind him of playing linebacker. I don't think keying and diagnosing necessarily comes naturally for him. He's best when they just have him rush off the edge or man a guy up in coverage because he is that gifted of an athlete. I mean, he's like a cat out there. So you just don't have guys that are 6'5 and can block kicks but also cover backs out of the backfield and tight ends man-to-man. He's a really unique player, and I just can't wait to see if the preparation allows him to be even more productive this year. Yeah, he sounds like a very intriguing player. I'm excited to to kind of get eyes on him in the in the coming weeks. Let me ask you about this other kid that's in that front seven, uh, not draft eligible for this year. This is a true sophomore uh, who was on Bruce Feldman from the Athletic his freak list, the top 50 uh, freaky athletes in college football. You know how much uh, I enjoy that list, Ross. And uh, Micah Parsons, who um, you know has good size. I want to say he was like six three, two forty, if memory serves. Uh, thinking back to Bruce's article. Comparisons from people he talked to to a Saquon Barkley from a, a physical standpoint and what he is just as a, a freak show athlete. What can you tell us about Micah Parsons and does that kind of live up to the hype? Yeah, so you know he he's from here in Harrisburg where I live, and I actually saw him. He's he's in the school district where I reside, Central Dauphin. Fran, I went to his third high school game ever. He was in ninth grade. And I texted my former college teammate, Andy Frank, who's the director of player personnel for Penn State, and said, Central Dolphin has a defense, a freshman defensive end you need to look at as soon as possible. He had at that point, through his third game as a freshman in high school, I think he might have had 10 sacks uh, playing defensive end for the Central Dolphin Rams. Penn State went to school the next week saw him, and then offered him the week after that. He was offered a full ride to Penn State, I think, before his fifth game in high school. I mean, that's how impressive his first four games are in terms of uh, the freak show list. And then when he went to, he transferred to Harrisburg High his junior year, they put him at running back, and it was like nothing you've ever seen before. I mean, he looked like Jim Brown. I mean, he was 235 pounds and fast, like real fast. Went to the Army All-American Bowl uh, that I call every year. Nobody could block him. As a defensive end, nobody could touch him. Not only rare speed, but his 10-yard burst and his ability to turn the edge. Now, Penn State had an abundance of defensive ends last year, so they actually put him at linebacker. 
off the ball, which Fran, he never did. I mean, in high school, he played the end. So he had never been like an off-the-ball linebacker. All he did was lead Penn State in tackles without starting a game. I mean, and really not knowing what he was doing. I mean, it was really just kind of see ball, chase ball, get ball. Um, I actually compare him favorably, and he wears the same number to a former teammate of mine, and that's LeVar Arrington. That's who he reminds me of, just in terms of a guy that runs past the other linebackers with his acceleration to make plays. What I really would like to see, and I'm anxious to see, is Penn State use him this year more as a rusher. Mm. Among the most gifted high school pass rushers I've ever seen. Maybe the best pass rusher I've ever seen at the All-American Bowl. They didn't really use him that way last year. They had Gross Matos. They had Sharif Miller, who the Eagles took in the fourth round. They have other kids like Shaka Tony, who's from Philly as well. This year, they're going to find a way to have him rush one way or the other in obvious passing downs. And I'm just telling you and everybody else, just look out. Because even if they just put him opposite of Etor Gross Matos or ran games with those two guys, it could be scary. This is this is good. first of all. I mean, comparing guy to Levar Arrington, like no, former number two pick. I, I was I was young at the time, but he was just a freak show uh, player. I mean, just ridiculous. And you know that obviously playing with them. This is going to be a very tough question for you to answer. And I wanted to wrap this up by asking. Uh, you know, we've talked about obviously Micah Parsons, who you know has an extremely high ceiling. Gross Matos, the the stud left tackle, uh, redshirt freshman. We've talked about a lot of young players, but who's a guy that we haven't discussed yet? Fans don't know now but they will this time next year as, as a, a surefire future NFL player for Penn State? Well, I'm going to give you two that will actually be draft eligible. Okay. Um, and the one, you know, both these guys have played, but since you didn't ask me about them, they're not as much on the radar as they should be. Uh, they have a true junior cornerback in Tariq Castro Fields, who's been playing since he was a true freshman He's six foot, maybe six foot and a half. He's up to almost 200 pounds. Very, very gifted. He just hasn't been as consistent as you would have liked. He's gained like 10 pounds this offseason. I think he realizes, okay, it's my third year. I'm draft eligible after this year. Came down to Penn State and Alabama. If that tells you any indication of the type of high school player he was, very physical moves well. Tariq Castro fields number five as a corner for them. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to give you a wide receiver, KJ Hamler, number one. He's undersized, but he is absolutely electric. They got him the ball last year. He made some plays, but they need to get him the ball even more. I mean, he's the guy, Fran, that when they get the ball in his hands, everybody in the stadium stands up because he's a threat to go every time he touches it. So whether he's a slot guy at the next level or a a Taylor Gabriel like guy on the outside, you know, with more and more teams running those jet sweeps or ghost sweeps, whatever it is, he's that guy. He's a guy. I'm not going to say he's Tyree kill. I'll just say he's that type of player in an offense. What did he go, uh, 95 yards against Ohio State on that slant from the slot? 
Yeah, think about how fast you have to be to score a 95-yard touchdown against Ohio State. Think about that. Yeah, Hamler has got he's got some juice. Well, Ross, uh, training camp starts this week. Excited to see you here at the Novacare Complex in the coming days. Thanks for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Absolutely, Fran. Thanks for having me. Really interesting insight from Ross, and obviously high praise for some of those top players in the Penn State program, whether it was Gross Matos or uh, the Micah Parsons comparisons. I mean, I said I said it in the interview. Like, Bruce Feldman comparison to Saquon Barkley based off what somebody said. Then uh, Ross turns around in comparison to LeVar Arrington. That's two of the, the biggest freak shows to ever play in the NFC East. Mm. Uh, so very, very high praise there for Micah Parsons. Just a true sophomore, so obviously not eligible uh, until for a couple of years. But uh, let's move on now. I want to. We're talking offensive linemen. I figured it would be a good time, Ben, to talk about the uh, the offensive line mastermind summit that you and I were at a couple of weeks ago. It feels like not that long ago, but a couple of weeks ago now, uh, down in in Frisco, Texas. You were there. What were your thoughts uh, just on the entire event? Just awesome. Well, it was just a fascinating experience. So just uh, kind of be a fly on the wall yeah. and just to hear these guys talk and kind of not really have an agenda and conversation and just talk about anything and everything that's relevant to offensive line play, yep. whether it's on the field, off the field, training, workouts, techniques. And it's really just eye-opening and how much detail that goes into the position. Yeah. I really took away how much these guys watch each other and how much they can really benefit from watching each other. And fascinating to hear the different things they take from each other, from the mm. veterans, and to hear Teron Armstead say, hey, I took this from Peters, or I took Tyron Smith's kick slide, but I couldn't take anything from this player because we're different types of players, and just to hear the players talking about their mindset and how they go into developing their game and their techniques and what works for them or doesn't work for them. There's so much detail that goes into the position. So just to hear these guys talk aloud and go through that thought process. Mm. And what I've been telling people, what was it like? It was an offensive line think tank. It was. And that's all it was. Yeah. It was just guys in a room sharing their experiences, which it was just loaded with players up and down the NFL or pro bowlers, all pros, guys like that. So guys that were experienced, talented, and it was great to also have some younger guys there, some of the college players, and they were just being sponges as well, and the yep. rookies and the transition from college into the NFL, all sorts of different conversations that I really, you know, really blew my mind with how deep the position can be on the field, off the field, and the detail that went into the summit. Just a very fascinating experience. Yeah, so two guys that were there, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, and I talked with both of those guys about the event. Working together as an offensive line, to me, is the best right side in the NFL. With you talk about right guard, right tackle combination. So talk with both those guys together. It was a really fun interview over this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And if you want a funny story, you got to hear the one they tell about Jason Peters uh, and what he's like in-game. So go check that out over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this week. Whether you're an Eagles fan or not, I think you'll enjoy uh, that podcast. And it's just very interesting to talk with some of these players up close that maybe I haven't interacted with. You right. develop a bit of a, a mindset and a, you think they have a certain reputation, whether it's on the field or off the field, but to talk with them and to hear them talk about their game, I kind of view some of the players completely different, whether mm. that's Ronald Leary, who is one of the more vocal oh, wow. leaders yeah. of the group, yep. or even a Marshall, Marshall Newhouse, Newhouse, who sure. you know is viewed as kind of a journeyman in the NFL, but just to hear him talk about his experiences and the things that he goes through, you really develop a different type of appreciation for these guys as human beings, mm. more than just athletes and professional athletes, obviously, and football players. These guys are human beings and to hear their thought process, what goes into their personal life. It's very fascinating. Well, I think to me, and it plays to a conversation you and I had on the podcast here. I mean, it was right after the draft, and we talked about what goes in your evaluation process. And you know, being in that room and talking with those guys and seeing what's important, 
To me, you're not a great player if you don't have that kind of focus, that kind of attention to detail, that kind of approach to the game. You, know, just, you look at all those guys, and they're, they're some of the best players in the league, and the guys that weren't, you, the, you know, have to share that mindset. They have to be that, you know, that st- constant strive for perfection. That's what these guys are all about. And to me, like if you don't have that at the college level, we're bringing this back to the journey of the draft, if you don't have that at the college level, you better show the potential to grow into that, or else I don't know the teams can trust that you're going to be able to reach your ceiling. Yeah, it was just a very resourceful experience for all these offensive linemen. It was just great being there and hearing these guys talk, but yep. for them to feed off each other, especially seeing all those rookies there, yeah. just being sponges and asking tons of questions, whether it's Garrett Bradbury or Eric McCoy or Elton Jenkins with yep. the Packers and some of the college players. There's just so much to learn and the wealth of knowledge in the room. It's just really cool to be a part of. And For me, obviously, I never played offensive line, so it's a bit of a, you don't know what you don't know. Mm. So I wanted to go down and try to refine my knowledge of the offensive line position and pick up as much as I can from these players. And I think we both kind of filled up our notebook with different quirks and you know techniques of the position and things and pros and cons and the way we're studying some of the top flight pass rushers around the league no and the game plans that go into stopping these guys yep you really don't know what you don't know so being able to just hear these guys talk and to hear big duke mannyweather who is a you know just a renowned offensive line coach and the detail he puts into his craft was just a fascinating experience it was really cool being there well and it's funny you mentioned filling up the notebook i know you said that when you listen to my conversation with josh gaddis a few weeks ago on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. You were filling up your notebook uh, for the what he was saying about the wide receiver position. So I thought for this podcast, hey, we're talking Big Ten. Let's bring Josh Gaddis back. Not necessarily bring him back, but let's go back into that interview from the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast a few weeks ago. He's talking all about wide receiver play, but I, at, at the end of the interview, I asked him, I said, hey, look, you know, coach, you got a number of really talented receivers there. Let's talk about that, that, uh, that trio of wideouts for the Wolverines led by Tariq Black. Coach, I wanted to ask you about some of the guys uh, that you're coaching this year. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, Tariq Black and Nico Collins, uh, a very talented group, and among others uh, there in in uh, in with the Wolverines. Talk about some of those guys and what they bring to the table. I know you got to work with them this spring. You'll work with them again later this summer going into the fall. Uh, what do those guys bring to the table? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited to to get a chance. You know, they all uh, all three are different. Um, we've got a great room. We've even got some young guys that are stepping up, creating a name for themselves. But, uh, and I think when you look at, you know, those three and their skill set, um, you know, obviously they, they're blessed with, um, you know, tremendous size. You know, this is probably one of the bigger rooms uh, of, of guys that I've had uh, in the past. You know, Nico Collins is a guy that he's just, you know, 6'4", he's 225 pounds, 230 pounds, um, but he runs really, really well. And he, he can really sink his hips. Um, he's got great body control, and he's got a huge catch radius. He's one of those guys that's 6'4", that plays even bigger um, when you look at his catch radius from that standpoint. And then, you know, Donovan is a guy that, uh, you know, he has some linear straight line speed for a guy that's 6'2". Reminds me a lot of Jordan Matthews um, that I was fortunate enough to coach when I was at Vanderbilt and played with the Eagles um, as far as, you know, being a, a long guy that can play inside um, as well with his movements. And, and uh, then you have Tariq, who's another guy who's 6'2 plus um, with straight line speed. And so, uh, you know, when you look at those guys, you know, I think their natural skill set is there. They've got the size, they've got the ball skills. Um, obviously, uh, Donovan and, and Nico have got tremendous game experience. 
Um, but when I look at the skill set within the wide receiver plays, now it's all about holding them accountable fundamentally. Um, it's about improving, um, you know, their detail and technique and making sure that they're playing with great detail and not just rushing to get open, um, but understanding the nuances that it takes. But, and one of the challenges with having bigger guys is having, making them play lower. Okay, making them have their center of gravity, being able to play with their hips down, um, being able to continue to keep their forward lane and, and improve their stride length. But also now you're talking about all those short area movements, playing with their knees inside their ankles, uh, not just relying on being the big guy that bullies or push guys around, um, but really allow you to, uh, uh, to maximize your skill set when you create such those dynamic movements of some of the smaller guys. And so um, that's been an emphasis this spring is, is you know, we do a lot of movement-specific training, you know, just being able to, to play with our hips down, play with our knees inside of our ankles, um, and being able to control our movements there. And so I'm excited when you look at the skill set and the talent that those three guys have as well as the other guys in the room. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to just continuing to grow those guys as receivers. And, you know, I think that's been a huge area that has helped them as far as the detail and technique, as far as having a plan you know, we have all kinds of words and verbiage and short phrases for all the technique and details, but now they're more aware. And when they can learn to speak your language, that's when you know they start to get it. Um, and that's what's starting to click with those guys is now they're putting it in my terminology as far as the details so you know they're understanding it, and now, now they're able to go out there and execute it and play at a high level. All right, so if you want to hear that whole interview with Josh Gaddis, I encourage you, again, go back, listen to that episode over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast from a few weeks back. I don't have the exact number uh, on me, but just go check that out. It was a really fun interview all about the wide receiver position. He even talked about Jerry Judy a little bit as well. The, uh, the, the well, he came from Van- Vanderbilt with you know Jordan Matthews and the Penn State with Chris Godwin, yeah. Deshaun Hamilton, then to Alabama with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, now over to Michigan with Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, yep. Tariq Black. Man, this guy has his imprint on a lot of the top receivers in college, now in the NFL, one of the top coaches. I expect him no to question. keep rising through the ranks. He's he's without a doubt one of the best receiver coaches in no the country. No question. Now offensive coordinator yep. and just a good guy, well-spoken, yep. knows his stuff, knows how to convey his thoughts to his players and to play people that don't play the game as well. So just having that you know acclimate to be able to talk about the game, very, very good coach in college football. Yeah, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Again, all about the Big Ten. Next week, we're going to the ACC, the reigning champion Clemson Tigers and the rest of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Make sure you stay tuned for that on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And as always, please take a few minutes. We're, we're actually up to the brim. We're, we're tapped out in terms of new reviews and comments and questions. So if you've got players you want us to talk about, if you've got questions about the show, about the evaluation process, now's the time. Go to the Journey to the Draft podcast page, wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever. Leave a question, leave a comment, leave a rating, and that's the best way as college football season approaches and we're starting to get into the season. Help promote the podcast, help boost it up the rankings a little bit, let more people listen, and we can keep putting on this show on a weekly basis. Until that, until then, that'll do another show here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. For Ben, I'm Fran. I'll see you next week.